listening to episode 26, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. We're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Stephen Kurt was born and raised in a missionary family in Nairobi, Kenya. When in the USA, Stephen lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he received his undergraduate degree at Oral Roberts University. He went on to obtain his master's degree at Global University. Stephen has traveled to over 30 nations and has lived as a missionary in four countries while ministering and teaching in several more. We're often scared to tell others about our relationship with Jesus because we're afraid they'll reject us or hate us for it. But that doesn't always have to be the case. Could it be that we think we have to get them saved first before we can be good friends with them? We may not say that, but our lives may say that for us without words in the way we prefer to stay inside the walls of our churches or to spend all our spare time with our Christian friends. In this chapter, Stephen lays out a few of the practical tips for building relationships with other people. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated than saying, Hello, my name is Stephen. What's your name? We use the word missions a lot today, and it gets thrown around, but I don't think we quite fully understand what missions is. So before we get intimidated by the word and think that it means we have to run off and go to another country, let's, let's define what we mean by when we say missions. What, what is missions to you? What do, what do you teach people on when, when they ask that? Yeah, that's wow. There's so much there. Like we could do, uh, I know we could. a series of podcasts <laughs> right there. Let's just do a real um, quick one. <laughs> I, yeah, let's do a real quick one. I, I I would look at that and I would say at some level there has to be a cross cultural component. Okay, there has to be gospel centered material, i.e., the uh, proclamation of Christ or at least the communication of Christ. Um, and there has to be um, a willingness on the part of the communicator to try and make that cross-cultural bridge as smooth as possible so that the human element doesn't become a stumbling block, but that the receiver is able to hear um, who Christ is uh, in their context. And obviously, um, there can be multiple bridges and avenues in order to accomplish this, i.e., you know, projects that would benefit their welfare, that kind of thing that kind of indicate the love and compassion and heart of Christ. What what do you mean when you say cross-cultural? Yeah, because can, does that mean you have to change geographic locations or can that take place within uh, like the confines of your city, for instance? Yeah, I definitely think it can take place, um, particularly in the world that we live in, in any context. We have the diaspora taking place globally, where you have, in some instances, certain people groups that are now more numerous in the United States of America than in other countries of the world. Um, And so you, you have to look at this mass migration of peoples to the urban centers of the world and recognize that Um, Just because we all say that we live in America, we definitely do not have conformity in terms of cultural language and definitely not religious backgrounds. Um, And yet the freedom of living in a country like this provides is that there is the opportunity to engage these people. So I think when we're talking about cross-culture, it can be both global, i.e. as an American, we cross the ocean 
uh, to go, you know, take take up residence in a different country, or it can be right here uh, within the United States. It's just that it's going to reply. It's going to require um, us stepping out of our comfort zone, out of our cultural cues and norms and values, uh, to be able to uh, engage someone else in their context of where they hang out in terms of values, culture, etc. Um, and I think this is one of the greatest ways to actually facilitate the discipleship process in our life. And I'll elaborate on that by saying this, that for me at least, so much of my life was about going back and forth between Kenya, America, America, Kenya, and then as a missionary uh, in full as my as God led, found myself in Burundi, Madagascar, Tanzania. So five different cultures. Which one do I affiliate with? Because I can now speak the languages pretty much from all of these countries. I tried to assimilate and adapt to all of that. And you start to recognize that there are certain tendencies, values, etc., that are associated with a particular culture, right? And so what happens is globally, we have exported a version of the gospel message that is very Americanized, right? And so we highlight, emphasize things that we deem to be important that may be scriptures it's mentioned in scripture, but it isn't doesn't carry nearly the same weight as we would associate it as Americans, right? And so what you do then is you're forced to grapple with, well, what really is the culture that we're trying to communicate? What does a disciple really look like? Is a disciple Kenyan? Is a disciple American? Is a disciple? And pretty quick, you have to go back to this idea of kingdom, right? And so then you begin to unpack, well, what did Jesus teach? Well, Jesus taught an invisible kingdom. And so the culture that we're trying to create in terms of discipleship, I think looks like kingdom. It, it could have components of America. It could have components of Kenya. It could have components of Tanzania because there's different expressions within all of these different cultures that I think honor God, but there's definitely some expressions that don't. And so that to me, as you begin to grapple with this grid, you look at your own um, weaknesses, tendencies, idiosyncrasies, and you begin to go, man, why do I why do I think that? That's not even necessarily biblical. That's American, right? And so <laughs> then, how, then how does the kingdom replace that? Or not to pick on Americans, that's that's Kenyan, right? That 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 tendency of how I view money in my life or whatever it may be. And then what does the kingdom look like? And so I, my wife and I, love to talk about discipleship within the context of the culture of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into a few things that you have said so far because I mean I think that's such a really great point especially when it comes to the intersection of all those things that engagement that we have both with other people that may be Christians and as we work out and try to work out our salvation and figure out what does kingdom culture look like but also something that you said earlier even when you're talking about being uh, a young kid in school and communicating with people of other faiths and and having to do so you use the word um, unemotionally. You could do it with kindness and, and love, but not get emotionally involved. And and this is one of those areas where anytime we, at least it seems to me, when we get engaged in any of these conversations, we have a tendency to become very emotionally involved. And on the one hand, it makes sense because this is really serious stuff when we talk about the gospel. I mean, it's it's the fate of literal life and death for all of eternity. And so I think there is a good reason to be emotionally invested. On the other hand, though, like you said, 
a lot of these interactions are not going to be one-off interactions where somebody is going to get saved immediately. And so you have to be able to walk and live your life with people and interact with them in order to make them disciples or lead them to Christ so that they can be made disciples in a way that is non-emotional. How do you go about engaging with people in these conversations, both, I think, where the conversation has led so far, both saved and non-saved, for navigating what it means to follow Christ? Yeah, um, I would maybe just back up for a second. And when we're talking about the whole emotional component, um, I, I think it would be a disservice to say that no emotions are involved. Obviously, the fact that you're even willing to present Christ to the person, there has to be some kind of um, commitment to the gospel. And usually, usually when I when when, when I do feel that um, when I have the opportunity to really share Christ, like there is a very strong um, stirring in my spirit, and I don't know any way to describe that except I can feel the Holy Spirit like he's he's moving. And so that's when I, you know, I try to really be intentional and responsive to that. Um, but I guess what I, I was, the danger is then you become so emotionally charged in a particular um, interaction or conversation that you don't really say anything credible. Um, and it becomes almost like, well, I believe in Jesus and you need to get saved. Well, okay, why does he need to get saved? And why do you believe in Jesus, right? This goes back to the New Testament. You need to be able to give an answer for the faith that you uh, possess, right? And so I think that uh, I love that word, you know, apologetic. And to me, that just articulates this idea of I need to be intentional to have answers and responses to the questions of life and to the questions that people are asking, right? And so how does it, what does it look like in terms of engaging Christians or non-Christians? Most people that I have interacted with have never really thought through the constructs of what they believe or don't believe. It's just that it's been handed down to them. Every now and again, you do meet someone who has kind of thought through a little bit, but even then you can usually poke holes pretty easily. And so, man, I love asking people questions. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because of this and this. Well, how do you know that this and this is accurate? And not that, and that's where I think that the emotional thing becomes essential because if you come across as like, you know, you just need to, whatever that could look like you can actually make the person get on the defensive really really quick because they feel attacked right whereas if you come across as hey i really am you know i'm con i, I want to build a relationship with you i would love to have an honest dialogue about this then i find that most people um they they they're willing to go there they're willing to be stretched and challenged and to think through some of these things right and so um my 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 particular you know, like, I don't even want to use the word strategy, but I, I love saying, hi, my name's Steven. What's your name? Oh, my name is so-and-so. Oh, great. Where are you from? And man, specifically in America, if you will ask somebody from a different culture what their name is, where they're from, how long they've been there, they'll just whoop open right up because they're so stinking lonely. Nobody, like, what do they say? They say that 80% of international students in America spend four years here without ever going inside um, an American's home, right? So, and that just, I think that would be true across the board. That's why we have these communities of people that settle, you know, amongst themselves. They just don't feel comfortable engaging and interacting with Americans. And so when you take that first step to just 
begin to find out who they are. Oh my goodness. And particularly if you're able to say, oh, you're from that city. I read this about that city. Is that true? Pretty quick, you're going to get to the level of what do you believe? And I, and I want to be careful here, Crespi and Josh, because I don't want to imply that you're just trying to have relationships so that you can stuff the gospel down somebody's throat. Okay, I think we need to be intentional that, hey, we want to build relationships with people. But there are definitely times like when you have an Uber driver or a Lyft driver and we know we're probably not going to see these people again. Where hey, man, I'm going to tell you about Jesus because it could be the only time that somebody does. Yeah, so you just brought up one of our favorite things, and that's the why question. <laughs> and so we love to ask why. In fact, one of our favorite uh, mottos is go three whys deep with somebody about any issue. Because sometimes you, we go four or five. <laughs> yeah, so you can go yeah four or five, other three to five. That, that's <laughs> that's the good advice. Um, but it's what you're talking about is so critical because you can ask why in a way that really makes you sound like a jerk. And if I'm being yeah, honest, that's, that's my problem. Like I ask why, but I ask it, I, I tend to come off really cold and even if my heart is in the right place. And so I think this is really great practical advice right here because you can say, oh, well, why do you believe that? And all of a sudden it's an accusation. Whereas yeah. you can just change your tone slightly and say, well, that's interesting. Why do you believe that? Help me understand it. And all of a sudden, you've just totally repositioned yourself in a way that now you are inviting them to go deeper with you. You're saying, this is a safe place. Please share more because I'm interested in who you are, not simply in just having a, a mental sparring match with you. So I, I love it. I think your points are really great in that we don't just get Thanks. to know people in order to shove the gospel down their throat. Of course, yeah. we get to know people so that they can be drawn into the love of Christ, but um, never to shove things down their throat. I think you're definitely spot on with being exposed to multiple cultures and seeing how each one of those cultures are doing things differently, especially as Christians. And you couple that with um, asking people why, and, and it's really cool to see how the gospel really does apply to every area of our lives as we go about doing missional work with people of different cultures and, and things like that. So I think that's just, that's cool. Yeah, I agree. That is cool. Um, I would say that the danger with focusing exclusively on an evangelistic presentation in terms of the gospel with someone is that if and when that person comes to Christ and there's no ongoing relationship, then where do they turn to take the next step towards discipleship, right? And so I think that, that we've done a great disservice there where we have, and please hear me because I am a huge proponent of evangelism, but I think that what has happened in so many contexts is once someone comes to Christ, then it becomes, you know, this celebrated event, which I think it should be. Jesus said there's rejoicing in heaven whenever one comes back to the Father, right? But then how do they take the next step if there's not that person, that 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 connection to help them understand and unpack uh, the scriptures? And so that, that to me, um, I, I love to think in terms of relationships with different cultures. And I think that it it's so easy easy to do so. It's actually way easier to, to befriend some an international person than it is an American. And I not that Americans are harsh, I don't mean that at all, but rather uh, internationals are usually, 
isolated. They're usually lonely. I'm talking with when they're here within uh, the American context. And so just to show them even a little bit of, um, you know, interest, hey, would you be willing to go? I mean, they just, they open right up. Like I've had the opportunity to lead, I don't know, at least three or four to Christ just through, hey, could I play soccer with you? Or would you be willing to go to lunch with me? And they're like, what, really? You would be willing to go to lunch with me? You'd like to do, and just having, and then of course they want to know like, who's the strange American guy? And maybe I'm not really American. Maybe I'm more African-American, but (laughs) who's the strange African-American guy that wants to just spend a little bit of time with me? And then you're like, well, yeah, I'm a missionary. And then, you know, it's just one thing leads to another. And then you start asking the questions and pretty soon I found at least people open up. I like that too. Uh, that's why we have an emphasis on making disciples and not necessarily getting people saved. Uh, getting saved is a component of discipleship for sure. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, I definitely think you're right. We need a better plan. And it just changes our mindset when we think about when we engage with these people that we are we are engaging with them for the long haul. I mean, maybe if we're now become best friends forever, we've at least made a commitment to connect them to a church body, if if that's if that's it. And so, I, I think um, I think that's a good emphasis right there. One thing that has always stood out to me about missionaries is the level of focus they have on the task of reaching people with the gospel message. And I've seen this play out in my own life during short-term missions trips I've been on. There's something about going to a new place like another country or another city for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel that causes you to be more bold and more open to the Spirit's voice. It's the focus we get because we have intentionally set our minds to the purpose of making disciples. But I want this sort of focus in my everyday life. And I think the secret to igniting this kind of passion and focus is to stop focusing on trying to get people saved. When our focus is on a decision for salvation, then our relationships become transactional. We only see the people around us as potential decisions. And we do want them to make a decision to follow Christ. But our focus shouldn't be there. Instead, focus on how you can get to know them and invest in their lives. Discipleship and disciple-making is about all of life. So focus on people and let the Holy Spirit work in them to bring about the decisions. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that.
thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Stephen and his work, check out InvolvedInternational.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Stephen talks about the value of depending on the Spirit in missions. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Oh, 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 oh,